Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Marketing Week Explores. I'm Molly Fleming, a reporter at Marketing Week, and this week I'm joined by features writer Matt Barker. Unsurprisingly, we're doing things a little bit differently and are recording this separately in our own homes in London as we observe social distancing. How are you doing, Matt? Oh, I'm fine. It's it's been quite a funny old uh, past month, but it's it's, it's um yeah, I'm getting used to it now, and I've got birds singing outside in the trees. Very nice. This week, we're seeing how two sectors who are acutely affected by coronavirus, travel and museums, are coping with the global lockdowns. Earlier this week, I spoke to Skyscanner's global brand director, Joe McClintock, about how they're supporting both their consumers and employees during this crisis. While Matt, you chatted to Will Barrett, who works at a gallery called Hastings Contemporary, about how galleries and museums are adapting during the UK-wide lockdown. So, Matt, what did Will have to say? I feel like it's something involving robotics. Am I right? It is, yeah. Uh, basically, I, I, I did a piece uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and I spoke to marketeers at various museums and galleries. There's someone at the Barbican, the Home Arts Centre in Manchester. I'm basically looking at how the, a lot of them are introducing digital content uh, and how the a lot of them were doing this really before coronavirus hit. You know, it was, it, it was a big kind of marketing and, and a sales tool as well for some of the smaller galleries. But... As is often the case, it's been accelerated with everything that's been going on with social distancing and so on for the past month. Yeah, there's this small gallery called Hastings Contemporary, which, which as the name suggests, is down on the Sussex coast in the town of the same name. And what they've been doing is, is really interesting. And as you say, they've introduced a robot which basically um, can give virtual tours, online tours of, of, of the gallery while, while it's closed. It was originally planned to be introduced as an aid for accessibility to allow the housebound elderly, people with a disability, to experience the gallery's work online, but as part of a, a kind of a very personalised experience. It sounds really interesting. Um, well, let's dive right in. So, Will, could you tell me a little bit about the whole robot concept? It was always planned well before the coronavirus pandemic hit, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was. We had uh, been, well... Let's go back to the beginning, shall we? So um, uh, Esther Fox um, is one of our trustees, and Esther has many hats, uh, of which include the fact that uh, she is the head and director of something called Accentuate, which is a non-profit that specializes in changing attitudes surrounding disability in the cultural sector, and they provide opportunities for lots of deaf and disabled people to lead uh, within the cultural sector. Um, as I say, she was one of her trustees, and she also happens to be, with one of her other hats, um, a researcher and project manager at something called D4D. Now, D4D is an AHRC um, research uh, program and project um, that looks at uh, evolving ways in which disabled people express and perform and experience uh, community, um, and it has a particular focus uh, in the arts. Um, so, and it does really interesting things as well. We're looking at their website, D4D, um, that combines robotics, the arts, education, employment, genetics, gaming. Okay. Esther had, because of her involvement with D4D, had mentioned a little while ago when she joined the board um, that uh, she had access to these robots courtesy of Bristol Robotics Lab, who are a partner with D4D, uh, and whether we might like to uh, collaborate with them on a project. And so we've been thinking for a little while, um, and we're in the process of writing an application uh, uh, to try and fund a project that would um, get people who were severely incapacitated either because of disability or perhaps they're stuck inside a care home or they have serious health concerns, which means they have to self-isolate. Because uh, as I think I've said to you before, um, obviously problems surrounding self-isolation, you know, 
far precede the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, and it's something we've been thinking about and sensitive to. Uh, and it's now something a lot more people are aware of, because obviously a lot, lot more people now are living their lives um, as though they were disabled in some senses. They're getting a sense of that lived experience of what it's like to be disabled. So we had been thinking around these issues. Um, and then when the lockdown was kind of on the horizon, um, Esther came back to us and said, look, this has happened. Would you like to, we don't know what we do exactly just yet, but, you know, this would be helpful for our research purposes. Would you like to use the robot? And we sort of said immediately, yes, yes. Um, this sounds really cool. Uh, and we managed to get the robot, you know, uh, in by the skin of our teeth about 24 hours before the lockdown happened. Uh, it was delivered up from Bristol. Uh, and uh, we got hold of it. And we had some ideas about how we had a, were going to apply the robot within the context of the art gallery, uh, but we hadn't really decided till we, you know, gave it a few test drives. Um, and then we quickly came up with a plan um, to start initially, at least, doing these robot tours. Um, and that's where we are currently. And how does it actually work? Because you, you can make a booking via the Hastings Contemporary website, can't you? Um, and, and then is it just a question of, of sort of jumping on the next available tool? Yeah, well, the first thing I'll say is that this is the first time that uh, this technology, which is still quite new technology, Double Robotics, who uh, created, they're an American company and startup who created um, the robot, have only been around since about as long as the gallery, actually, about 2012, 2013. Um, and it's the first time it's ever been used in the UK in an art gallery um, or, or a museum, really. There's a few museums that have used it in very small capacity, but no gallery or museum has probably used them to the length that we're going to um, in this context. Um, so we, we, as I say, we are experimenting. Like It's new technology being applied in a new context. And so currently at the moment, we're offering around, I think, four tours a week. Uh, and these are half a minute tours and you could book through the website. We've had to just disable that because we've had a lot of really good press off the back of this um, and we've had a lot of interest in inquiries um, and we've been trying to at the moment initially A, run some test groups but B, also prioritise people with serious health concerns and people who are particularly vulnerable at the moment um, which was the kind of, you know, the real uh, social and uh, social impetus behind using the robot in the first place. Um, but uh, at the longer term plan is uh, we had the April tours kind of sorted and we've just sort of finalised what the road tour will look like for May and June. And our hope is again to get booking back up. So essentially it's like, you know, we're booking a, a ticket for, you know, the theatre or a stand up gig. You know, you can just log on, see if there's any tours available, book yourself. And I say it's totally free. Um we do ask for people for a voluntary donation, a very small donation, if they want to consider it. But otherwise, anyone in the world, if you're in Dubai, Melbourne, Costa Rica, wherever it is, uh, you can just log onto the website and you should be able to book in. As I say, that's not live just yet, uh, but we're hoping to get the May and the June tours up very soon. When we first got the robot, we didn't really have a very detailed plan. We had a few hunches about ways it could be used, but and those were just theoretical. Things are always different, particularly with technology and practice. Uh, and there's been a lot of refinement. And every day, we're, you know, it's, it's a very iterative process. Every day, every single day, you know, I spend with a robot, I am discovering something new and I have to adapt and react and kind of formulate different ways to approach, you know, its development and its use. Um, so, yeah, it's and you have to bear in mind, you know, we, quite a lot of our staff have been furloughed at the gallery. It's a skeleton crew. We all have, 100 other things to be doing at the moment 
Um, and uh, spending a lot of time on the robot, it's been very difficult doing that and juggling my kind of normal day-to-day um, concerns. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been a very, very challenging experience. But also broadly, I think it's been in a lot of ways, even though we're probably only like into our second week of doing the tours, it's been extremely uh, successful and insightful in a huge amount of ways. What I would say is that the real worries are you know, what are our audiences, if we do open, what are they actually going to look like? And then how do we communicate with them? What's our ask going to be? How They're going to be a different audience. So how, you know, do we meet their needs? How do we remain useful to them? How do we have real, you know, social utility for these particular individuals and social groups and local creative communities? Because that's all going to change. And the other thing is that, you know, if you are an organization that relies on some of your income from people spending money, either because they have to pay for a ticket to get into the gallery or to see your show or go to the ballet or whatever it is that, you know, we're going to be heading into some economically quite difficult times. Um, And certainly from a communications point of view, um, it's, you know, if we're going to have to, or we are put in the position where we're going to have to depend on, to some extent on the generosity of other people to survive, which may be the case. How, you know, how do we even ask for that? Ask for something like that, you know, when we might be in an economic climate where many, many people are just trying to make ends meet. Um, so there's lots and lots of think, things to think about in terms of the way that, you know, audiences are going to shift in terms of who your key demographics are and also particularly what, you know, disposable income people are going to have and what their real priorities are going to be. Um those are the things that I wouldn't say worry, but those are the things that, you know, are going to be challenging and that we all have to very seriously and critically think about, you know, and and be patient and flexible and creative and don't rely on the old ways of doing things or the familiar standbys or rules of thumb we're going to have to use. Things are going to be different uh, and it's difficult to be, you know, in a position where there's so many unknowns uh, we're really discovering what the new language is in terms of communicating with people. It's a very different climate right now, and we have to be very sensitive to the lived, the actual lived realities of people right now. And we really have to listen to that because uh, that's going to change how we communicate with them, how we decide to engage with them, and what we're really asking um, from them. Uh, and certainly at the gallery, we're trying to actually do things that really offer support um, not only to our local and creative communities and individuals and those at risk but you know also mutual support to lots of neighboring organizations like the Tanner Art Gallery and the Delaware Pavilion um, and creative businesses and things like that Um, so we really we have to we have to think and communicate in a way that really expresses a sense of the the kind of the communitarian work we're doing and communicates a kind of sense of solidarity. And is also, like I say, very, very sensitive to what people's lives are right now. Um, because, as I say, you know, many people at the moment, they'll be struggling in all sorts of ways. They'll be struggling with the isolation. They'll be struggling with you know, having to queue for so long or even just procure food and medicines um, and all sorts of those sorts of problems. And so we really have to think, you know, are we, how can we really find a 
place of purpose and value in their lives while also being able, you know, to keep the show on the road and keep doing what we're doing and, you know, keep, uh, you know, carry on supporting, you know, the schools we work with and the freelancers we work with and those sorts of things. So finding that language from a marketing point of view, because you don't want to be deaf. You don't want to just go, oh, here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing, and just kind of blast stuff with, because it, it it's it's very one way that, you know, marketing and communication with mm-hmm. audiences should be very it should be interpersonal and there should be a certain emotional element to it you know you've got to cultivate a real relationship with your audiences that has meaning uh, you don't just want to spam them in a kind of panic uh, with all the things you've got on or like images from past shows or your archive and the rest of it so finding a a more emotionally nuanced transparent sensitive um marketing style and language is going to be really really important well on a more personal level what, what's one of the first things you're looking forward to doing when, when this is all over and we get the all clear or we can go back to some kind of normality <laughs> um uh, i'd probably say getting my hair cut actually um because uh, I have very thick hair and it grows quite quickly um, and I did do it myself actually the other night with some clippers um, and I think I did given the circumstances not in clippers actually they're, it's like a beard trimmer um, given the circumstances I did an alright job probably quite honourable um, but I do have the slight vague air of you know someone who's just joined a cult so I would uh, I would <laughs> I would quite like to um, get like a nice tidy proper haircut I think that's the first thing I'm going to do but the thing that really, really has kept me sane has been Hastings um, as a place. I mean, I uh, moved down here not that long ago, probably August, September last year. But I moved down here just because, you know, I went once and completely fell in love with it. Um, it's if Anyone who's listening to this podcast has never been. It's one of the most you know, absolutely ravishingly beautiful places. I think it's one of the sunniest places in the UK, I'm told, alongside Eastbourne. It gets more recorded hours of sunlight. So... The weather you get here is extraordinary. And you have a bit of everything. You've got the history. You've got the architecture from Old Town, you know, that is almost well, more than half a century old. You've got the oldest fishing beach in Europe, beaches that maybe even William the Conqueror landed on when he came over during the Norman Conquest. You've got uh, the cliffs. I'm two minutes from a woodland. I'm two minutes from the beach. Um, to just have all this, I, I feel utterly blessed, you know, looking at the ocean and being able to do, you know, to go outside and go for a swim in the sea or, or go for a quick hike during my hour of exercise has just been a, you know, an absolute lifesaver. So, yeah, I think Hastings has definitely kept me sane here. So that was Will Barrett there at Hastings Contemporary. Some really interesting things he was saying there, not, not least about marketeers um, needing to change the language of marketing, that they perhaps need to be a bit more aware of shifting priorities and that even when we go back to some kind of normality, a lot of people are going to have to deal with the half, harsh realities of an economic recession. I think being wary of language is something that all of us need to be more keen on. That's something that Joe McClintock from Skyscanner also talked about as well. I thought something that she did really interestingly as well is she talked about the mental health effects of this, both for how to support her employees, but also about helping their consumers navigate grief as the people aren't able to travel. I'm Jo, um, uh, work for Skyscanner as their brand director. And um, one of the things that's uh, basically imperative to everything that we do um, throughout the, the, the company and in our DNA is this idea of being traveller first. And um, it's quite remarkable. Uh, we make lots of decisions in the business that are actually 
super um, consumer friendly and actually to the detriment of revenue. Um, we believe that revenue is a lagging indicator of success. So um, when you're in a crisis and, and people can't travel, um, it was ultimately the, the right thing to do to launch a campaign to absolutely be there for our travellers uh, when they're feeling lots of mixed feelings, in fact. Um, and we, we kind of kicked that campaign off with uh, trying to understand the problem uh, we could solve for them to be traveller first, um, to serve and not sell. Um, and we launched a, a pulse global pulse survey in 16 markets uh, to thousands of travellers every week. And it's really informed everything that we do and continue to do. So we uh, kicked off a campaign. We, we call it internally um, serving our travellers through COVID. Um, and within that campaign, we've had multiple pieces of work. Um, we obviously, first of all, set up a content hub where our travellers could get quick information and guidance and advice uh, and banners throughout our site, emails off the back of that. Uh, we've continued to keep that updated and, and continue to add more depth to it. We have introduced some new product features, um, which uh, include understanding better what people's options are with regards to flexibility on pricing and, and uh, cancellation policies. Um, but the campaign itself uh, has produced a number of different beautiful uh, pieces of uh, marketing. Uh, the first being sort of a, a tentpole moment, as we call it, um, in this uh, We Will video. And that's kind of an inspirational video that took, again, the insights that we had from our global pulse uh, to, you know, I don't know, get in touch with people's feelings and say, hey, we know what you're feeling. We feel it too. And um, we want to help you through this. And that video is really inspiring people that we will get back to normal um, at some point, you know, though it will be a new normal. Um, we've had postcards from employees, uh, their stories um, of uh, their travels and their wishes and their desires. We've um, set up Spotify playlists, um, sort of we call it tunes to take you traveling, um, travel at home, play packs for kids, which are about people um, having educational and fun um content to share with their children about the world. So lots and lots of stuff and, and we continue to to build on that. Can you talk me through that kind of process of wanting to be a brand that even if you can't serve them in your normal way, that you want to be there emotionally during this difficult time? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, I'm gonna sort of quote quote uh, a classic um with Maslow um and you know the the Maslow's hierarchy of needs have moved overnight from uh, that kind of that top layer of self-esteem and actualize you know self-actualization where you want to be the best that you can be have freedom have some sort of status and self-esteem right down to the absolute kind of safety and, and physiological needs of your health your security and your resources so the, the move is absolutely stark um, and what we were looking at within the data, and I'm going to sort of introduce to you a, a bit of a framework that we're using off the back of this this grief model, um, is that the first instance people have been facing this kind of denial, the virus won't affect us. Um, second, anger, you're making me stay at home. Um, I don't like this. You're taking things away from me. Um, I can't do my normal stuff. To bargaining. So, okay, maybe if I social distance for a couple of weeks, it'll be better, right? You know, and it'll all be over and everything's fine. Um, then into sadness. So when this, when will this end? Will it ever end? 
And then finally into acceptance. So, okay, this is happening to me now and this is happening to the world and my family and my friends and those I care about. Um, I've just got to figure out my way through this. So we are actually seeing um, regions go through this at different st stages and um, very much we're seeing a lot of other regions moving into that acceptance phase now. And it's all built off this framework. Um, we have basically created a framework that is informed by the research that maps the likeliness to travel to four phases of emotion. Um, and it also brings in many other variables. But those four phases we refer to as the old normal. Uh, so, you know, if you can remember, hopefully three six, 12 months ago, you know, you could hop on a plane anytime you wanted um, to impacted. So this is kind of the phase where you start realizing this is a big deal and this is going to affect my life. Um, and that's kind of that denial, anger, bargaining phase you, you move down there. Um, and then we go into this next phase called living with the pandemic, um, which is an incredibly disruptive phase we believe it will last between eight and 18 months um it will include a reoccurrence loop so basically we'll look to those countries that have started opening opening up restrictions and see what happens uh, but ultimately we believe that over the next eight to 18 months that some regions will go through uh, these reoccurrences of, of the virus um, and then new normal. So eventually there will be a new normal for travel and for, for our consumers. And, and, and forming all of that are seven variables. So one of those uh, variables is the perceptions and feelings that are coming from our, our global survey and our, um, that comes out every week. Um, then there is the, the travel freedom. So you know, what is actually the rules and regulations? What is available for people to travel and you know what restrictions are in place? Um, daily cases of covid uh, and also the death rate, um, government restrictions, economic conditions and factors, uh, the number of um, destinations that are popular that are not restricted, and also our search and bookings in, in our products. So we take all of that information, map it to that four-phase model, and what we try and do is understand how to connect with our, our travellers off of that um, information. Those kind of stages of grief definitely kind of hit home for me. Okay. Um, I was wondering as well, you know, in terms of employees, how are you supporting your people during this incredibly unprecedented but also like difficult time? Yeah, um, so employees all across the world, because we are a global business, um, have got not only those feelings, like you said, going on in their, their own minds, but they've also got their own personal situations. So, for example... I'm a mum. I've got two kids and I'm sometimes on my own with them. Uh, one of them should be at school. One of them should be at nursery. And, you know, I want to be the best parent I possibly can be. And also I want to make sure that I'm there for my my colleagues, my friends. Um, and that's tough because you're trying to balance a lot. Um, and one of the most wonderful things that our um, leadership and exec team have interest, introduced into the business is something what we call your choice time. So we have a, um, a section of the day, it's three hours every single day, Monday to Friday, where uh, our, our employees can choose to use that time in any way, shape or form they like. It could be to teach their kids, it could be to go for a walk, it could be to you know, bake some focaccia, um, or it could be to do some work. Um, and the idea is that you know, people aren't available on Slack. 
Uh, they're not answering emails. They're not available for a phone call. And wonderfully, uh, the whole business has come together to support that. Uh, and secondly, we've also um, we've up, up weighted our, our town halls, um, you know, to make sure that there's I think it's like two two town halls a week now where we check in with our exec. Um, is any sort of Q&A. Uh, we can ask anything we like anytime we want. We want. We've um, also set up an amazing uh, Slack channel called What We've Shipped. Um, and it is like an incredible place to get brilliant celebration, um, as well as battle station Slack channels, parent Slack channels. Um, it's, it's like a real uh, a kind of keep calm, carry on wartime effort I absolutely yeah absolutely love it and lastly I've got two questions for you one is what is something what's like the first thing you're going to do when this is all over you know whether that's your get your favorite coffee go for brunch do something you can't do night now what's something you miss and secondly what's something that you're that's helping you keep sane while you're at home what's something that you're enjoying yeah, so uh, I would love to go to the beach. I live in Norfolk um, and there are some incredible beaches here and I'm desperate to get there. Uh, so uh, as soon as things are um, opened up, I'll just crack out um, some kind of like my wellies and my my kids' uh, um, paddling suits and we'll go off to the coast, which would be really nice. Um, and the thing that I guess is keeping me sane is I'm probably like really late to the party on this, but I've become obsessed with suits and I can't imagine like a night of not watching three episodes of suits. <laughs> so <laughs> it's keeping me sane. Um, I'm actually only into series two and I realized there's quite a lot to go. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> At the end of every podcast, we normally ask two key questions, something that's forward looking and something else that's relevant to the content everything's upside down at the moment and as you heard we asked both of our interviewees two key questions that were a little different and a bit more personal what's one of the first things you're looking forward to when this is all over and secondly what's one thing that's keeping you sane so Matt what's the first thing or one of the first things you're looking forward to doing when this is all over I think it's just having that feeling of social interaction again of just being around people and for me it's going to be going back to see live football, going to a football match. I never thought as a, a lifelong Crystal Palace fan I'd ever say that, but I'm really looking forward to going to see them play again. And what's one thing that's keeping you sane? Table tennis. I've really got into table tennis. Um, we have little championships in our household, and I've, I'm not too bad at it, actually, even though I say so myself. So, Molly, first thing for you, what are you most looking forward to once we get the all clear I think the first thing I'll do when lockdown is over is I'm going to go to Hampstead Heath Ladies Pond and go for a picnic with all of my friends on the heath. That sounds nice. And what's been keeping you sane for all this? There are a couple of things, but I think the most consistent is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I am re-watching every season. Um, I was, I think, a bit too young when they first came out, but me and my flatmate are religiously watching every episode. In between that, I'm trying to do the couch to 5K and um, have baked an insane amount in very sporadic bits of productivity. But Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I watch every night, and that's something that's genuinely keeping me a bit sane during all this. <laughs> Good to know. Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's Marketing Week Explores. You can listen to this and our other podcast, Marketing Week Meets, on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. As ever, we're keen to hear your opinions about the podcast, so please do tweet us at Marketing Week Ed. 
And if you want to read the content we've been discussing or get more of the best marketing news and insight, go to our website, marketingweek.com. That just leaves me to thank you, Matt, and everyone else for listening. We hope you stay safe and are keeping well. 